Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your snackable daily podcast for your pop culture fix. Hi, I'm Laura Brodnick and I'm Mamma Mia's entertainment editor. And I'm Kiris. I work at Social Squad. That is Mamma Mia's internal social media agency. And a T-minus one day until I'm back on the road back to Sydney. How crazy is that? Oh, don't say it. It makes me sad. Like, I know that we can't interact now because we're on opposite ends of Queensland but we're about to be separated by a state border and Key Reese, I don't know when I'll ever see you in the flesh again I maybe know. never thank god <laughs> we've got this daily podcast to look at each other exactly in tiny zoom squares <laughs> yeah. well in today's deep dive we discuss Star Wars star John Boyega's viral interview and how he's lifted the curtain on the true problems within our biggest movie franchises but first our entertainment news headlines of the day I have news. What's the hot gossip? I want more headlines. Harry and Meg's just to change it up. I know it's been two days in a row, but there is some (laughs) breaking news today. They are actually following in the footsteps of the Obamas with an announcement that the former royals have signed a major deal with Netflix. So the details are pretty limited at this stage, but the New York Times are reporting that the couple have founded a yet-to-be-named production company and signed a multi-year deal with Netflix. Within the deal, they will be making documentaries, docuseries, feature films and scripted shows and children's programming. So they may appear on camera in some documentaries, but no, Megs will not be returning to her job as an actress. And in a statement, they said that the focus will be really on creating content that informs, but also gives hope. And as new parents, making inspirational family programming is really important to them. It's interesting because a lot of people have been reporting that they had been having a lot of conversations with different people. And I think even this year, Megan voiced the Disney documentary Elephant. There was also an article that came out last month from Variety who reported that they've been in talks with NBC. Universal, but they ultimately landed on Netflix, which I think is kind of the cool celeb network to go with. Yeah, it's definitely drawing all the celebs over at the moment. And I think that's because they have such limited kind of strings attached to their contracts. Like Netflix is infamous for giving people cash and a lot of time to just go and create these projects in the way that they want and put them on the streaming service because there is so much room for content there. I don't think anyone's surprised by this because I think stepping into the documentary making field has always been on their agenda since they first stopped being working royals and as you were saying it's the one kind of big publicity thing they've dipped their toes in since setting up home in LA with Megan doing her Disney documentary and Harry to a lesser extent but he still appeared in that documentary Rising Phoenix that's on Netflix now so it's obviously a medium they feel very comfortable stepping into and it'll be a while before we sort of start to see the fruits of their labor come up if we you know it could be five years or so before we see the first of their projects because TV production even through Netflix is notoriously slow 
low. But interesting that they're setting out to build this empire. Yeah, well, Archie's got to eat, Laura Brodnick, so there you go. Oh, yes. I do worry about Archie out of all the children in the world. (laughs) Okay, well, on to some news about the US version of Dancing with the Stars. They have announced their new lineup and it is causing quite the stir. Yes, so season 29 of Dancing with the Stars, if you can believe that they've even got people left, have announced their full lineup for the new season. And yes, Key Reese, it is pretty shocking, mainly because Tiger King star Carol Baskin will be strapping on her dancing shoes and dancing it out on the floor, along with a few other Netflix stars, which I think is quite telling. They've got actress and Selling Sunset personality Chriselle Staus and cheer coach from the viral documentary Monica Dalma. And a lot of people are thinking that they've really, because Netflix has had this huge success with particularly all of these personalities I just talked about, and Dancing with the Stars 2019 season finale was their lowest rated in the franchise history, that they're trying to almost ride on the coattails of Netflix and bring Carol Baskin, who we should say a lot of people still think she killed her husband and covered it up. I mean, the latest we spoke about it, she was being investigated. Like, I don't, is there not kind of a rule on people who may have committed a serious crime? (laughs) Not on Dancing with the Stars, no. They actually quite like bringing people like that on. Also in this lineup, a few, there's actress Anne Heche, who is a very serious kind of... I know, right? Um, I know she's most famous for being in a relationship with Ellen DeGeneres, but she's also a very serious actress, so not who I would have picked. Also, Nelly is going to be out there. Nelly's going to be doing the foxtrot. I don't understand that. And also there's a Backstreet Boy in there because there's a Backstreet Boy every season. But I think one of the reasons they had to really scramble for these names, a lot of people are saying, is that Tyra Banks was announced just before this came out as the new producer and host of the series, which means the two hosts that have been with the series for a long time were ousted. And she was brought in. And entertainment journalist Kelty Knight was saying that, because she has all the insider information on this, that they were finding it really hard to get stars to appear on this season because of the big shakeup, because of the low ratings, which is how I think Carol managed to dance her way into the lineup. Oh my Lord. Well, hopefully no tigers will be harmed in the making of that show. On to another cult show, which, okay, Neighbours. I'm talking about Neighbours right now. Is it cancelled? Is it not cancelled? Tell me everything. What are Susan and John going to do? Susan and Carl. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, so here's what's happening. I know the headlines around everywhere today are saying that Neighbours is cancelled. That's not quite true, but look, things aren't looking good for the residents of Ramsey Street. So what's happened is off the back of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of production and streaming services and networks in Australia were feeling the pinch as so many other businesses are. So the federal government stepped in to make changes. And what they did was kind of lift the quota for what networks and streaming services had to show in terms of locally produced drama, children's shows and documentaries. Because in before that, there were quotas around the number of shows that had to be Australian produced in May, just to kind of keep that business in our country. Otherwise, it would be so much cheaper for a lot of networks just to syndicate shows from the US. So what's happened now is those quotas are in place and there's no information on when they are going to lift, which means a lot of these shows that are coming up to their renewal times or kind of planning around what their production schedule will be like next year, don't know if they'll have that support from the networks because there's currently no plan of putting those quotas back in. It's kind of just a really quick way to explain it. And so why people are really talking about Neighbours is because Fremantle Media Chief Executive Officer Chris Oliver-Taylor told the ABC that in the free-to-air environment, Neighbours could certainly be at risk if the quotas weren't reversed because there's no, you know, kind of incentive to the network to pick it up. So even though Neighbours hasn't officially been cancelled yet, it's 
It's a very real possibility that things don't change. The show could not go ahead. Jeez Louise. All right, well, we'll just wait to hear what happens, I guess. Yeah, for Susan and John. For Susan and John. Damn it. Actor John Boyega covers the October issue of GQ. It's his first interview since finishing his blockbuster breakthrough role as Finn in Star Wars and a few months after his viral speech at a Black Lives Matter rally in London. Black lives have always mattered. We have always been important. We have always meant something. We have always succeeded regardless. And now is the time. So in the cover story, he goes on to explain how both of those experiences inspired him to make a stand as an actor and an activist. Let's start with the comments made about his Star Wars experience, because that by far has been the biggest headline grabber out of this interview. So John made history as the first black stormtrooper in Star Wars ever. And in the interview, he's asked, how does he reflect on his involvement and the way that the newest trilogy was concluded? And for the first time, he called out Disney's handling of his character. It's sometimes the ignorance of people that think mm. that what you see in the media of any actor or footballer mm. yeah. you know, represents the entirety of their experience. Mm. Oh no, mm. you think you're gonna see what happens in the closed doors of Hollywood? Mm. Why would you see that? Correct yeah. yourself, mm. you ain't had my experience. Mm. Exactly. And when you think of it, calling out Disney, even if you are like, you know, becoming an A-list actor like he is, it's still a big call because they do own the monopoly on pretty much all of the film and TV production and all of those really big franchises that he could be locked out of. But he did kind of put out a public message to Disney and say that if you get yourself involved in projects and you don't know what they're going to turn out, his advice to Disney is not to bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are and have them pushed to the side. His character of Finn, who made such a huge splash when The Force of Awakens came out and was really marketed to be such a huge part of this franchise. And there was all this kudos to Disney and to Star Wars for bringing in a black main character to the biggest movie franchise in the world, which had traditionally been very white in the past. And as the movies went along, particularly in The Last Jedi, he was just completely sidelined, given very little screen time. And the tokenism around his casting became so blatant that even just general movie going audience members couldn't ignore it. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think what he goes on to say then is he really calls out the fact that they kept Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver's characters. They gave them so much to work with. And you and I both commented when we saw that last movie of how much Finn was not even in it. He had no storyline at all. And he said that what they want you to say is I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. But that he only say that when it is a great experience. And here he's clearly calling out what I think is token versus inclusion. So it's a lesson in what happens when I think movie franchises or really anyone who wants to kind of jump onto this movement, what happens when you don't actually put the work into it. And I think it's really clear to understand like how he's got to this point, right? Because you can really feel the frustration in his voice when he's talking about it all. And I can't even imagine kind of the roller coaster of emotion and pain that he went through in getting that role. You know, the joy of getting this role of a lifetime only for the casting to be met with uproar because fans of the franchise were sending in death threats and being, you know, super nasty about the fact that a black man would be playing this character. And then, you know, pushing forward, getting into the role and then slowly throughout the last three movies, seeing the depth of your role and the character really diminished and realizing you've gone through all of this, been marketed the poster child for the franchise only to be pushed to the side. And I think his comments about 
the frustration of being the only cast member whose whole experience within this new franchise of Star Wars or this new trilogy of Star Wars, that his new experience was completely influenced by race. And he says, it makes you angry with a process like that. It makes you so much more militant. It changes you because you realize I got given this opportunity, but I'm in an industry that wasn't even ready for me. Nobody else had that experience, but yet people are surprised that I'm this way. That's my frustration. And I think he did such a great way at articulating it to really understand what the context was and all of the things that come into play and what was really going on. Like no one else in that franchise had to wake up every day and consider, you know, this extra burden that's on his shoulders through everything else. Exactly. And I think what he hints at in this interview is what we kind of need to talk about is a lot of the very shady behavior that was going on behind the scenes of both the Avengers franchise and the Star Wars franchise, both owned by Disney and which both came out at a similar time. And because they are the biggest movie franchises in the world, you know, it's important to know what happens here. So Kelly Marie Tran, her character of Rose was brought into Star Wars to kind of give it more diversity. And she was very infamously sidelined having, I think, like two minutes of of dialogue in the last movie, even though she was credited as kind of coming in as a big character. And we later found out that a lot of her um, lines and a lot of the exposition that she should have delivered was given to Dominique Monaghan, a white actor who is a friend of J.J. Abrams from back on their days on Lost. He played Charlie and he got his role in this huge franchise over an Asian woman because he lost a bet to J.J. and they had a bet over a football game. And J.J. emailed him and said, like, you know, if this if England beats Columbia, you're in. And he was like, oh, mate, you're a bastard. So him taking on that role became just part of a joke and a bet. And a lot of fans were really quick to kind of liken it to the way Danae Guerra, who was a star in the Marvel franchise from the Black Panther series, how leading into Avengers Endgame, the biggest movie in the world, she was on the poster. She did all the pre-show interviews with all the other white cast members, was on the red carpet and they really featured her. And when we actually saw the movie, she's only in it for less than a minute. So it's like they want them on the poster, but not in the movie. It's just really sad. Like that must be so frustrating. And also I feel like imagine sitting through that and just realizing like I should be really thankful because I have this great role and it's a great opportunity, but also realizing that you're just being used in the way to market the movie. I think it's important to note that he was interviewed by a journalist called Jimmy Famuera um, and he is an entertainment, social trends and men's lifestyle journalist, but he's also a person of color. And I feel like it was really important. Like, I don't know if he would have been as open about it and also that we would have got the same message because he made an effort to keep the context and made sure that what we were reading wasn't misconstrued. And I think he did that in in highlighting. Um, But to dismiss these words as merely professional bitterness or paranoia is to miss the point. His primary motivation is to show the frustrations and difficulties of trying to operate within what we can feel like a permanently rigged system. So I just even think that that journalist did such a great job of interviewing him. And it's great that we get to get this insight into what really goes on behind these big, big movie franchises. Thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. While you're listening, remember to subscribe and leave us a review. We love reading all of your feedback. And remember, you can get in contact with us by emailing us at thespill at mamamia.com.au. This episode of The Spill is produced by Maddie Joannou. We'll see you on mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. 
we pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.